Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Vinny Chilurzo is my guest today, and we'll be talking all things Russian River, including Pliny the Younger, building recipes, and his hopes for hops. But first, I'm going to ask you to check out BeerEdge.com for articles, episodes of the podcast hosted by Andy Crouch, and to sign up for the newsletter. And don't forget the This Week in Rausch Beer Facebook page, where there is always something smoky going on. And if you'd like to learn about advertising on this show or the Beer Edge podcast, you can reach out to Liz Melby at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll tell you all about our exciting and affordable rates. And also be sure to follow us on most of the social medias. We're still not on TikTok at The Beer Edge. A few weeks ago, Vinny Chalurzo, who's a co-founder of Russian River Brewing Company in California, was on Steal This Beer, the podcast I co-host with Augie Carton. Amid the hop-soaked fun, Vinny mentioned how the two breweries in the Russian River family, the one in Santa Rosa and the newer one in Windsor, talk between themselves to dial in recipes. And it's a fun conversation, and you should go back and listen to it if you haven't already. It's episode 300. And we didn't get too deep into it at the time about how these recipes kind of come together and the breweries talk to each other. And so over the course of the last few weeks, I've been emailing with Vinny to learn more. And we finally decided to just record a podcast episode about how the beers are dialed in, evaluated, and tweaked over time. And we really nerd out, so get ready. And I would have done this sooner, but he was tied up with the 2021 launch of Pliny the Younger, the triple IPA that is released once per year, usually around this time, to great acclaim and often long lines. But because of the pandemic, the sales were moved into bottles and online, like the internet. And it was a learning experience for the brewery, especially with how many people wanted a chance to drink or maybe trade bottles of their own. And so that's where we start, with me asking about Younger Day and the aftermath. Vinny spoke to me from the brewery in Windsor. Here's our conversation. We're speaking a couple of days after, I guess, the younger pandemonium. Is that a fair word to use? Has has died down? Um, yes. <laughs> Very fair word to, to use. Mayhem uh, has been used quite a bit around here. In, in what context? I mean, how, how has it been the, the last couple of weeks with you know, yeah. younger so in a we, pandemic? Uh, so we, we did we did Pliny the Younger as an online release this year. We didn't want to um, do any in-person events here at the brewery. Didn't want to become you know super spreader events, if you will, even with just beer pickups. So we said online only. And you know when we when we brewed the Younger in early January, we had no idea that the governor was going to uh, lift all of the. Um, the outdoor dining restrictions that were, or the, well, the whole shelter in place, which also included outdoor dining. And so, you know, in hindsight, if we would have known that we could have possibly, you know, brewed enough to do some draft distribution and do draft, but it obviously didn't work out that way. So we kept it as an online release. Um, we had uh, planned for around 8,000 mixed packs of, um, of five different beers. Four of the 12 beers were planted the younger in bottles and, um, you know, we knew it would be busy, but we had no idea that 110,000 people would be waiting at the doorstep of our website wanting to buy one of these 8,000 cases. Now, we had planned for um, not be, people not being able to order duplicates. The e-commerce had bought software and whatnot, which, you know, when you think about bots and beer, it's not really that common because 
there isn't much of a black market, you know, whereas, you know, a Metallica concert, for example, you know, a bot could buy all these tickets and, and then, you know, figure out a way that whoever is behind it could resell them. Well, that, that's a little more difficult with, with beer because of all the restrictions. So anyways, in the end, it all sold out in minutes. And we, we did have a lot of, you know, upset customers who, you know, had beer in their cart and, um, and then it, you know, we just ran out and, you know, most, most e-commerce platforms don't, um, you know, give you a five minute or 10 minute window. It just puts what you order in the cart and, um, and then it's kind of first come first serve, if you will. So yeah, whoever we, gets we to kind of set ourselves first. up for a, a mess, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, um, yeah, we did get a lot of, uh, a lot of emails and a lot of uh, we were beat up quite a bit on social media but you know I Natalie and I take that on ourselves and uh, you know I responded to every email that came through the info ad or nearly everyone my, myself I quickly had our IT director point the uh, info out to my computer and that's what I did for three days after um, you know obviously if we could do it again we would do it differently or we probably wouldn't have done it at all you know, next year, if so long as we're out of the pandemic, we'll go back to our normal Pliny of the Younger in-person release, along with, you know, draft distributed all over the state. Um, if we still are in a pandemic state, which, gosh, I hope we're not, we yeah. probably won't do any anything at all and just wait for the pandemic to clear. So that that's the interesting thing, is that there's a lot of breweries, you know, now that vaccines are being rolled out, there's a lot of breweries that are trying to figure out what... Business model or business pivot or whatever um, they did during the pandemic might become a regular part of their business after things get back to quote unquote normal. Um, th- this this, but it sounds like this won't be one of those things for you. Not not doing Pliny the Younger direct to consumer, but our our normal direct to consumer, um, which we've been doing now for a year since the beginning of the pandemic, will stay and become a regular part of our business. In fact, one of our uh, managers here at our Windsor Brewery restaurant, he actually moved into the direct to consumer role, uh, manager role. So for the first four months of the pandemic, all I did was direct to consumer. And it was a huge, huge uh, deal for us and really helped us out financially and kept a lot of people employed. And, um, so, so you know, we Natalie and I had done direct to consumer at the beginning of our brew pub with just sour beers in a really, really small way. We both come from the wine industry, so we know that. Um, you know, we had we had started a direct to consumer program a few days before the governor locked down the state of California. So we were already a, ahead of a, a of most of the other breweries. There was only a handful of other breweries in California doing direct to consumer at that time but it was very evident to us that this was going to be something that we we needed to do so for us yeah it's definitely going to stay apart you know we we do a lot of small batch releases in cans on direct to consumer but at the end of the day uh, Pliny the elder is still our top um, selling beer direct to consumer folks that you know say in southern california for example where they're still it's, it's hard to find folks like the ability that they can just order a, a mixed pack that has Pliny and a few other beers or just a 12 bottle case and they have it in their fridge at home yeah you said you were caught by surprise uh, by 110,000 people uh, hitting the website what would have been a reasonable number in your mind uh i i don't know i i I'm not sure I even picked a number in my head, but 110,000, you know, you, th- you think about, you know, a, a baseball stadium, you know, and if it's <laughs> packed to the, that's like, what, 
40, 50,000 people. Yeah. Like, and then you say that's twice, you know, that I keep thinking about like, you know, Metallica is a local Bay area band. So I think about them, like they'll, you know, they'll sell out the, the giants baseball stadium, you know, two nights in a row. And I'm like, okay, well that's like, that's a Metallica concert twice. You you know what I mean? It's just a, the, the sheer number of people just, took us by surprise. So I don't, I don't know what that number, what I thought that number was going to be, but I definitely didn't think it was going to be 110,000 or even half that many. I didn't think it would be even 50,000. But then when you start drilling down into it, it wasn't just because we did, we do only ship to California, but when you open it up and you look at it more broadly, you say, well, you know, anyone that knows someone in California, they could have their beer shipped to a person in California. And then that person can turn around and ship it to them you know, wherever you live in America, New Jersey, yep. Nebraska, whatever, fill in the state. So really it did end up becoming a national release. And um, so I, I guess we should have been a, a little more prepared for that. But, you know, at the end of the day, we could only pack and print so many labels, shipping labels. And so, you know, even if we would have done something different, there still would have been 102,000, roughly 102,000 people that wouldn't have got the Pliny the Younger that they had wanted, unfortunately. And a and hundred, I did the math, 110,000, um, you know, mixed packs worth of, um, that had, you know, based on the four bottles of Pliny the Younger, that's 1,925 barrels of Pliny the Younger alone. Like we don't even, we barely even have that much fermentation capacity. And that's, that's four times as much younger as we normally make in a year. Normally we make about 475 barrels a year. So, I mean, it was, it would be a monumental amount of beer and there's just no physical way we could have pulled that off. Even if we knew it was going to be 110,000 people. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like this was sort of a fun experiment for you all, but are you eager to get back to the way that it was? I mean, because you had really sort of dialed in that process. Um, yeah, we're really eager to get back there. Gosh, we miss <laughs> we miss people so much. We just opened our, our two restaurants back up for outdoor dining yesterday, mm-hmm. and we had up to a three-hour wait at one of our restaurants, and the other one was like an hour wait, and... Um, so, I mean, it was just so good to see people and people want to get out and they, but they, you know, they're, they're doing it safely and we're doing it safely. And, um, but yeah, we, we really miss people and I really, you know, miss that, that younger experience and yes, there's lines and whatnot, but you know, people get a three hour table limit once they get inside and, um, it's just this very, you know, social experience. And, you know, Planet of the Younger in person isn't just about Planet of the Younger. We always, Natalie and I always talk more like it's a Russian river experience. So we always, I always put a new beer out or something different, you know, and like, you know, this year in the mix pack, I even threw a new sour beer in that I called funky food or cherry and never been mm-hmm. released before, never been uh, made before. I made it specifically for the, the younger release. And so it, it's something that will carry on. But so even so, you know, the idea of behind a mixed pack instead of only shipping Pliny the Younger was really because that's what the Younger experience when you're doing it in person is about. You know, you're trying all these other beers and I make sure that we have, you know, other hoppy beers and other unique beers available. Have you been monitoring? Have you all been looking at social media and seeing how far some of these bottles have already traveled outside of California? You know, uh, yeah, our, we have some some of our team watches that, and um, 
yeah, they, they're definitely going pretty far. And they do, you know, they obviously hit the black market. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we were so reluctant to start bottling Pliny the Younger. And you know, we finally did last in last year, 2020 um, release was the first time we bottled it. And it was because of that black market. But, you know, still at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a minuscule percentage. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where are you going to let the bad apple ruin it for everyone else? Because the majority of people are enjoying the younger and the ability to send it to their a family member or friend who may not ever get the opportunity to to come out and try it. So I, I try to I try to keep a positive focus on it. So I, you know, with national listenership and actually international listenership on this show, uh, if somebody does have a bottle right now, um, is there something that they can do at home, you know, if they're planning on opening this in the next couple of days, um, uh, to sort of recreate that pub experience? Should you have other beers lined up as well? Or is there a... I don't know. Is 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 there an at home component that you hope people would take into consideration when when drinking? You know, younger? it's an interesting. That's an interesting question because um, you know the 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 real younger um, professionals, if you will, I'm air quoting, <laughs> um, is is uh, they don't they don't just like come in, hit the table, and you know, let's say there's four people, and they're like, okay, four pliny the youngers, and our server will take the tab off their wrist, their wristband. They actually start with the lighter beers and work their way up to younger. Younger is the only time that you can pliny the elder tastes like water, and and I and I mean this, like <laughs> when you drink a younger first, and then you go back and drink an elder, it literally tastes thin and watery and then you know and then you go back to like blind pig or something that's even you know more mild it's an ipa but it's still more mild or you go to drink you know a, a, like velvet glow or, or hellas or something i mean then it really tastes light so the the experienced plenty of the younger aficionado actually starts with other beers and whether you know someone has younger at home and they have other russian river beers or they um, have other, you know, local beers wherever they're they're from. I, I would actually suggest if you are going to drink some other beers to not just start with younger, though it is an experience, though. And um, you know, this this year the recipe was pretty much the same as last, other than I added in a uh, a pretty new French hop called Elixir, and Elixir is is bred from the same French co-op that I get um, our uh, Aramis hops from for our STS Pilsner. And um, it's just this really very forward hop with a little bit of pungent uh, quality to it. I almost, I almost, I keep saying it's a little dirty in the aroma, but I mean that in like in a nice way, uh-huh. and that it really lifts all these other, uh, all the other hops in the beer and, and melds in pretty, pretty nicely. And um, the younger this year came out a little more hot, like alcohol hot in the aroma and, and flavor. So um, the the elixir actually has been a nice uh, hop to balance some of that heat. That that brings up an interesting question that I had of obviously when you when you package it and you get it out, um, you're working on somebody else's timetable. You know, you're working on San Francisco Beer Week or History or um, you know when people expect it to to, to come out. Um, if it is a little hot, is this are you drinking it now or are you letting it sit for? Another couple of days, another couple of weeks, or dealer's choice. What's your what's your sense? Yeah, I'm st- I'm drinking it right now, um, and, and you know because we had a very limited amount this year, and our yields were actually a little bit lower this year. So it's not like we're we had tons of extra 
cases sitting around. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have almost no extra. Um, I am I am continuing to drink it right now because I do want to um, kind of have a mindset of how I'm going to adjust the recipe for next year, if any at all. And so I will make the adjustments to the next year's Pliny the Younger now. And then, you know, in a year from now, when we go to brew, um, you know, what will be the, the 2022 uh, Pliny the Younger release, um, I have to rely on my, you know, recipe changes and notes that I made, you know, right now. And so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm drinking it cause I, I do enjoy it. Um, we did the other process change. We did a process change this year. We, re, we started, uh, the first dry hop in mid fermentation. So using some of this bio transformation mindset, that is a big focus in some hazy IPAs and whatnot and juicy IPAs. And so we've, we've done mid fermentation dry hopping on younger before, but never as early as we did it and never with the, with the quantity we did it this year. So we ended up with a bigger, brighter hop aroma. But um, again, that decision was made a year ago to, to do that. And, um, just thinking again, tasting these these new progressive IPAs, and and getting a a feel for really what you can do in using mid fermentation dry hopping, and then and then through the year through the pandemic, we made this beer called Pliny for President, where we double dry hopped Pliny the Elder, mm-hmm. and I was doing a lot of mid fermentation dry hopping in that beer, and so that just really solidified that I was gonna for sure do it on the on the younger this year. I like that. Um... So is there, when you start taking these notes now uh, and thinking about next year, is, is there a temptation as Brew Day gets closer to say, well, what if we do this or what if we do that? Um, or like once you sort of lock stuff in now, does it remain untouched until next year? It does remain untouched, but boy, did, did you like hit the nail right on the top of the head with the hammer. I mean, there is that temptation because, you know, we've never said that Pliny the Younger is a static, you know, um, recipe that it, it, I've always believed it has to change a little bit each year. The foundation of it is still the same. The malt bill is still the same. Um, but you know, like there's no crystal malt in it anymore. There used to be a little bit. Now I add a little Munich for, for mouthfeel. Um, you know, it's still main hops are Simcoe and Amarillo, but all the hops around it have changed over the years. We've honed it in, and, and there is a huge temptation to change it because, well, I mean, that's just how humans are. You know, you go and cook something in your kitchen, and you always want to tinker with it to make it better, hopefully. And, and I'm the same way with, with my beer, but it, but I do trust myself now, and, you know, we've been making younger long enough, and I know the process. And I also, I also think that that's like some of my winemaking background mm-hmm. comes into um, help here where – you know, being patient and we only make this beer once a year. And I, I, I like that. I like that. It only comes up. I like the uh, challenge. Um, it's a little stressful around here. You know, everyone's really happy once the last bottle or keg is filled or, or the beers in the serving tank. Um, you know, just, just so that we know that at least it's done. The brewers have finished their job. Um, but yeah, temptations there to make the change, even though I made changes a year ago, but I, I don't do it. I really stick with with my notes and like I'll, I'll create a brew log for 2022. So I'll, you know, I'll do a save as with our 2021 Pliny the Younger and then turn the name into 2022. And then that's how I make my changes. And, and, you know, I've got notes and stuff. And like this year, I'll perfect example. Like I've 
we did that all elixir. We did an all elixir beer. Um, and so that was a, and I tasted beers with elixir over a year ago and I really liked it. So that was how I added it in. But then for next year, for the 2022, I can already see that I used a little too much elixir in my opinion. So I'll probably cut that dry hop quantity in half and then take whatever the difference is and apply it to another hop variety that's in the dry hop. So, so you were on Steal This Beer a couple of weeks ago, and uh, listeners of both shows know that I, I usually don't like to you know, cross guests uh, or, or have guests too close one end or, or, or the other just for listener fatigue. Um, but you brought up something on that show that I really wanted to mine a little bit deeper, and we just didn't have the time to, um, and that was reconciling recipes with both locations, so both the, the brew pub and then the Windsor location. And you and I had a couple of conversations on email uh, about that yeah. about that leading up to it. But in, in that podcast, you were sort of talking about um, you know how both breweries have to you know, talk with each other and then talk to you uh, to make sure that, you know, especially when it comes to some of the iconic beers that you that you make or the, the more well-known beers, um, that everybody is critically on the same page. And, mm-hmm. you know, having two different brew houses and two different systems and two different people uh, in charge of those operations, um, I, I found it so interesting, this this sort of coordination um, that, 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 that comes. So I think we started talking about, you know, if you, if you, Vinny, decide that you, you know, want to tweak something or change something um, with one of the recipes that's made at both locations, ha- how does that process work? Ha- ha- where yeah. does that begin? Yeah, so it, it, it normally is, is me. Um, neither of our um, lead brewers have the, um, the ability to just go in and make a change. All recipe changes have to have to flow through me, um, and a lot of that is because I, I do know our beer brands better than anyone else. But um, as much of anything as this is that, you know, you just can't. Our Santa Rosa brewery just can't go start changing a recipe, um, whether it's an iconic beer like Pliny the Elder or another IPA, you know, whatever it is, because it, you know, would have a direct effect on, on Windsor or other, our big production brewery. And then they suddenly wouldn't taste the same because it's already hard enough to make these beers, you know, taste the same when our Santa Rosa brewery is this used, you know, 20 barrel brew house that I bought from a defunct brewery in North Carolina in the, you know, like 1993 or, no, <laughs> excuse me, 2003. Um, and, um, you know, and, and then, um, you know, in Windsor, we've got a, a hot rod, you know, it's a German automated brew house, fully automated, you know, that we, that we put in about 28 months ago. Yeah. And so they're two totally different breweries. So it's really, really hard enough as it is. So I control all recipe uh, development. If, you know, one of our brewing team comes to, you know, myself or one of the lead brewers or our production manager, Stephen, and says, Hey, you know, what if, what if we, you know, did this to this recipe, you know, we'll, we'll talk it through as our, you know, kind of brewery management team. And, and if we were to want to make a change, it has to be made at both places. Um, now, if we want to test something, we would usually test it at the, the Santa Rosa brewery 
if it turned out, maybe we'd release it or maybe we would move that beer over to Windsor and blend it away. Uh, we now have a five-barrel pilot brewery that we installed in the middle of the pandemic, so we have that now, and I, I brew on that myself. Um, that's that's my little little domain now. But the <laughs> the idea of recipe development um, or trying to match recipes, I guess I should say, with the Windsor Brewery started. Um, you know, you, you really can break it down to the four basic ingredients. Okay, water. Well, when Natalie and I had honed in on the area that we were going to build the Windsor facility, which was either going to be in Windsor or in uh, North Santa Rosa by the Santa Rosa airport. First thing I did was start researching water. Well, it turns out that the water source is the same and like literally get it from the same, same location. So, um, so I started, I went to our friends that happened to be our neighbor behind us here at Dumont Winery. And I would go every quarter and pull a water, water sample. And the same day we would pull a water sample at our Santa Rosa Crew pub in our Santa Rosa, our old production brewery, and we'd send them off for sampling. So we did that for a couple years, and then once we actually owned the property, started construction, we had water tapped here. I would just pull the water from from the property here. So over that time, we learned that our water is like 98 to 99 percent identical in Windsor and Santa Rosa. So that that's a huge, yeah, huge, yeah. Uh, you know component that you don't have to worry about and then you know you start looking at our hops okay our hops are actually natalie and i go do hop selection every year so they're the exact same lots of of hops um you know malt it's the same malt so we we've always intertransferred the bulk malt from our silo even at our old production brewery to our brew pub so that was always the same but we took it even a step further here in in windsor we have this fancy um, Kunsel brand malt handling equipment where the malt is drawn from a silo, super sacks, or a bag dump, but then it goes through a cleaning process where it removes all the dusk and the husks and any rocks and pebbles that might be in the malt, which you'd be surprised how much is in there. Um, someday I'll make a little pathway with all the rocks from that, that we remove. And Is and it actually that much, there, like where you can actually do landscaping with it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's crazy. I mean, pounds and pounds of like you've never seen malt when you pull a, a sample out of out of a bag, but it's in there. You just you just never see it. I mean, we have a whole um, bucket full of, of rocks that that, uh, um, that that gets pulled out. And so that malt would then get fed to the grist case um, at our mill. But we have a drop where we can pull the malt for our pub. So in ProLite, our brewing software, not only do we have all the recipes for Windsor, but we have every Santa Rosa recipe in there, but it's only to pull the malt. And then we've got macro or micro bins, macro bins to take the malt over. So the malt is the same. And then usually our yeast, um, let's, we use California ale yeast as our main <clears throat> primary fermentation yeast for our, you know, common beers that aren't funky. And those actually start normally in Santa Rosa and as a 20 or 40 barrel batch, and then we grow it, you know, do a batch or two there and have enough to where we can then do a 75 barrel batch in Windsor. And then that 75 barrel, you know, yeast pitch can turn into a 300 barrel yeast pitch for a quadruple batch. So we're, we are using all the same ingredients. So now you look at it and you say it's all equipment and process. And everything goes through a lab, right? So you're getting reports on the beers regularly to actually show that you're hitting exactly what you want each and every time. Yeah, we have a, we have a pretty elaborate uh, QA and Q, QC program all the way from doing daily gravities to, 
you know, color, BUs. I know BUs aren't that as accurate anymore, but they can still be a marker for you to follow. Uh, we have a, a GC, a gas chromatograph, to measure diacetyl for, our, for VDKs, for, you know, hop creep, to make sure that we're within spec there because we, we, have, we have all kinds of trouble with, with hop creep with our yeast and our hop load. So, yeah, we're, we're a very analytical uh, brewery, and it's something I'm really proud of. And, I, and the lab really is the, is the kind of the, the brains of the whole operation because everything that we do is focused on what the lab tells our brewing team you know if the beer's a little behind on fermentation they'll hold off on capping it if the diastole if the vdk is too high we won't drop the temperature we'll wait a little bit longer to let it reduce to let the hop creep finish out huh can can you talk about hop creep for a second because i i, I was having a conversation with uh lou bryson the the whiskey and beer writer the other day and he was having a tough time squaring his brain around hop creep and i was i was trying to you know explain what what i feel it is um but how how does it present for you as somebody who drinks a lot of beers where you're looking for it and then obviously trying to yeah. er eradicate it and there's a lot of of craft beer and a lot of homebrew out there that have hop creep and i've been doing i've been doing a lot of like um beer homebrew club zoom events from all over the country and a lot of times they'll send me their beer and unfortunately a lot of homebrew has <laughs> has has a diacetyl from the hop creep but hop creep is basically uh, caused by a second secondary fermentation that happens um in in beers that are dry hopped and very heavy levels so you know fill in the blank ipa american ipa hazy ipa west coast whatever and basically um there are enzymes in the hops that um, are basically reactivating during the dry hop process or being activated during the dry hop process. And the residual long chain sugars that are typically unfermentable are getting broken down and thus the yeast that is left in the beer is, is waking back up. It's coming out of dormancy and it's starting a secondary fermentation, which is now lowering your gravity, making your beer drier. It's making more alcohol. If you don't let the beer sit long enough in the, um, in the tank and you go to bottle or uh, can it or keg it, you can have that secondary fermentation in the vessel and it could become a, a real issue and be a safety issue if your can or bottle explodes and that, that has happened. The main flavor issue is that fermentation makes diacetyl, which is a buttery, butterscotch yeah. quality, and that is what's showing itself. So put, put the, you know, that your beer is now out of spec from gravity and alcohol um, but that diacetyl is a huge, huge issue. And so, you know, here, here we are, you know, in, you know, arguably the best time for beer and the most research has ever been done. And turns out this isn't a, a new thing. It was going on, you know, a hundred years ago. And when, uh, Allagash Brewery brought this, um, to Tom Shellhammer at Oregon State University, Tom started doing some research and found that there was actually some writings about this back uh, in England, except back then they called it the freshening power of hops, meaning that it <laughs> kicked in a secondary fermentation. That's a lot more like romantic than hop creep. You I was going to say, that's... Sound like... Yeah. Those are like the old <laughs> advertisements where the doctors were selling you cigarettes. 
Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that, that that's what hop creep is. Um, it's a huge, huge issue. Uh, some breweries have it worse than others. There's a lot of research being done at UC Davis and OSU on it. It's very yeast dependent. It's hop dependent. It's it's crop year dependent. Um, it's, re, it's, it's dependent on where you're getting your hops from. It's probably always been going on. But it's, you know, in more recent times, it's become worse because one, uh, kiln temperatures have come down, you know, the craft beer industry, mainly through the hop quality group has asked the hop growers to lower their kiln temperature. And then two, just the sheer quantity of hops we're adding, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, when I was, when I had my first brewery, Blind Pig, we did have a two pound per barrel dry hop beer, but our average beer was one pound per, our average IPA was one pound per barrel and hop, hops are being kilned at a warmer temperature. And now hops are being kilned at 125, 130 compared to 145 or 150. You know, and we're dry hopping at absurd amounts. You yeah. know? I mean, two pounds per barrel is pedestrian now. you got breweries doing seven, eight pounds per barrel dry hop alone. I, uh, I had the guys from Renhouse Brewing in Arizona on the show uh, just about a, a year or so ago, and uh, they went for 13 pounds per barrel. So, um, which was, it was, it was a joke for, for a festival, but the line, you know, it, it rivaled some of yours at, at, at festivals with, uh, how many people deep they were. So, um, people love, well, and the, you know, the interesting thing about, you know, pounds per barrel, a dry hop is, is, is an irrelevant number now because <laughs> there's also, there's also, um, hop brokers are making, uh, what are called T45, T90 pellets or the normal standard pellet, but a T45 is a concentrated pellet where a lot of the green material is removed, but you've left all the, you know, lupulin and oils and whatnot. So it's concentrated and doubled. So, I mean, like, you know, we've, we've, we, we make this beer row two hill 56. It's an all Simcoe beer. It's a Simcoe pale ale. And, um, you know, there we used to dry hop it at a pound per barrel, and now we've switched to what's called cryo, which is essentially a T45 um, pellet from, from Yakima Chief, one of our, our hop brokers. And so we're only dry hopping it now at half a pound per barrel. Well, in essence, it is a pound per barrel. It's just been concentrated down. So pound, you know, pounds per barrel of dry hop or use of hops is almost like BUs. It's an irrelevant number now because... You know they've they've come to understand. Scientists have come to understand that, like on the hop side, you know, one alpha acid is different when it's a different like when it, when you have humulinones in in the mix, which is um, oxidized alpha acids. Well, those humulinones are only like 0.6 or 0.7 as bitter as one alpha acid. So, um, you know, but you know, at the end of the day. You, it is good to have these reference points in your recipes when you're brewing to to know you know that you are at least within reason of where you're supposed to be. Yeah, um, that's you know I I hadn't really been thinking about how people aren't talking about bitterness units as much as they as they were, but that that certainly makes sense now. Um, I think pounds per barrel is the new bittering units from like you know ten. 15 years ago and everything was about BUs and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, we're, we're just as guilty of it at the time. <laughs> we had BUs up on our chalkboard yeah. and, and, you know, we, we took it down years ago as, as I, you know, I have, we have a, a hop chemist friend um, and, and as she taught me more about, 
you know, humulinones were the main thing that really were an eye opener to me that are, you know, like I said, they're oxidized alpha acids and they can contribute to, to bitterness. And that's one of the, and dryness. And I, I always call it perceived bitterness. And that's one of the main components of a, you know, of like a hazy IPA and the bitterness that you get. It's not coming from a lot of times, it's not coming from my summarized alpha acids, um, like a conventional beer where the hops have been in the boil for an hour, hour and a half, but it's actually coming from hops from dry hopping. Yeah. Um, but, um, but you know, that's also like the great thing about beer is it's the art, it's the science and you never stop learning and researchers never stop, you know, looking into these things and giving us brewers tools to hopefully create different beers and better beers and what have you. I want to sort of. We got off on a, on a on a really fun tangent, so thank you, Professor, for that. But uh, for that for that for that lesson within a lesson within a lesson. Um, but going back to when you are making changes, um, or you, the same beer is being brewed at different locations, and going back and 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 listening to everything that you just said. Uh, you know, from from the water to the hops coming from the same lot to you know your yeast program and and your lab reports and everything. Um, now that you have these two locations, are there still customers that come to you and say, "Oh yeah, but you know, Elder tastes better at Santa Rosa." <laughs> like, do, do, yeah. do you hear that? It's it's like that old Guinness myth of you know the best pint of Guinness you're going to have is in Dublin, um, right. which yep. which yep. strikes me as more romantic than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Well, or during, situationally during younger, aware. Yeah. During younger, when we started, you know, in Windsor, um, people would line up and go to both breweries in the same day, and and I would get emails and like, yeah, I like the younger better in Santa Rosa. No, <laughs> no, it was better in Windsor. And and you know what the and 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 I you know what I think it's fun. Um, you know, you can only you can only adjust a recipe so much. And, and so over the last 28 months since we've had Windsor open, you know, I, I will admit Pliny the Elder was very far apart early on, and we did a lot of blending early on. Now um, we've got them about as close as we can get. Um, the one change that I would like to make in uh, Santa Rosa would be to change our mill out without changing the whole brew house. I would like to change the mill to a, a four-roller mill maybe maybe next year. Um, it's, it's on my, my wish list, um, which all has to be approved by Natalie. Uh Um, and, and that would, that would, although it wouldn't mimic our wet mill in Windsor, where we're actually milling the the malt in in a moist uh, water chamber, um, it would get us closer and a a wet mill just wouldn't be uh, available, um, in that small of a, a brewery on a 20 barrel batch size. But, um, but anyways, so, you know, you have, you have to also accept that you can only go so far without changing, you know, you know, other than just changing the brew house out in Santa Rosa to a German, to a, you know, 20-barrel German brew house to be similar to this one, we can only go so far. And, yes, customers do say that, you know, <laughs> they, they like one or the other. And, um, you know, we've always been very open about it, though, and I've said, you know, bottles always come from Windsor. And, you know, when you're drinking anything most beers on draft in santa rosa though that that beer is being brewed there now we do comparison um tastings not often i mean less often during the pandemic because it's tough to get all of us in a room but we do 
uh, comparison tastings. There's a there's a little bit of a competitiveness between the brewing team in Santa Rosa and the brewing team in Windsor between the, our, our head brewers and lead brewers and whatnot. But um, but for the most part, you know, everyone's on the same page. It's like, okay, what can we do to make the beer better? And what's interesting is like our beer is way drier in in Windsor. And the the German brew house and German equipment made our beer better. So we're now actually trying to match Santa Rosa to Windsor, not the other way around. And and we like, you know, like I'll just tell you, like I still think Pliny the Elder is a little too dry coming out of Windsor. So we're working on how to tweak that recipe to finish just a little bit closer to two and a half Play-Doh instead of 2.1, which is where we're at now. And so, you know, we'll make those same changes in Santa Rosa, but in Santa Rosa, it's so much easier to get to where we want to be on that old equipment, whereas the new equipment um, just wants to make drier beer. You talk to any brewer that has a wet mill, and and it was Matt Brennelson that that taught me this early on at Firestone, that when they switched to a wet mill, all their beers dried out. And I mean, aside from that, you get amazing extract. Um, But... um, but anyway, so that was um, that. That's something that we're still, you know, playing around with, and, and we'll 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 get there over time. You know, I love how our beer is tasting right now, so you know, I'm not I'm not in a huge hurry to do it. And you know, another part of this is to not make a knee jerk reaction and just keep making changes. Like I'm a firm believer that if you're going to make a small tweak to a recipe, you do it. And then you'll live with that beer for a while and, and get to know it and drink it, take it home. Don't just drink it in sensory where you're maybe having an ounce, you know, as if you were judging the Great American Beer Festival. Yeah. Pour it in a glass, drink a pint of it. You know, what was, the, was Garrett Oliver's, like the, was it the four pint rule? You know, will you, will you drink a beer four pints in a row? Um, yeah. And, and, and just being patient, again, I think that goes back to my winemaking background to not just make a tweak to a recipe every you know, every, every turn of it, um, to really live with it. Uh, I'm mindful of your time, but you brought up the hop quality group and uh, I know you were one of the founding brewery members of it. And it's obviously done a lot of good work to bring a a better hop experience, uh, not only for the growers, but obviously for, for, for the brewers and then, you know, down to us, the, the consumers. Um, what are you all focused on? right now as we as we head into as we're i guess still at the beginning of a new year yeah the hop quality group is super strong right now i mean it started out with like seven member breweries i think it was deschutes uh boston beer sierra new belgium new glaris um odell russian river firestone it's pretty ragtag group yeah exactly i think i got all all seven or eight whatever the initial members were and uh and with the help of Val Peacock, who's a former hop guy from Anheuser-Busch, who's yeah. kind of um, been our um, our consultant over the years, um, you know, we, and it was John Mallett from Bell's idea to put this group together and basically be a liaison between, you know, craft brewers and, and, and growers. And you don't have to be a member to reap the benefits. We're a nonprofit, and the idea is to, you know, move forward with, you know, ideas of how to, um, you know, well, we learn more, learn from each other. That's important. But you know, how can the growers grow a hop that's better for craft? And 
you know, how can we understand what they're doing? And maybe there's some limitations, you know, for instance, lowering the kiln temperature, although, yes, it did cause, probably help cause hop creep. It's not the only thing that caused hop creep. I mean, the, I think the bigger issue of hop creep is, you know, four and five pounds of dry hops per barrel. So, yeah. um, but, but anyway, so it's, you know, farm sanitation, you know, you think about dry hopping, the, you know, the IPAs, you know, how many, very few breweries, you know, in America don't make an IPA or don't make a dry hop, you know, beer. I mean, even, even Allagash, you know, an all, you know, Belgian focused brewery, um, you know, has, has dry hop beer and they're the ones that exposed hop creep in modern times. So, um, and they're incidentally a member as well, one of the 50 members, but, um, so farm sanitation has always been a huge focus because, you know, when you think about the hops, they're not getting boiled. They're going to the dry hop. They're not getting boiled. And so they're getting coming out of the bag, however, whatever format, whole cone pellet, and you're dumping them in. So, you know, you don't want, those to be exposed to the elements, to, you know, animals or, you know, whatever, you know, bird, bird poop. You want to yeah. make sure that the farms are, you know, don't have any birds inside their, their buildings and whatnot. And, um, and you'd be surprised, you know, and so that was, that was an early focus. And now it the focus is on a breeding program and we're now, this is the fourth year of the breeding program. And with the help of the hop breeder, John Henning, who also works for the, um, uh, the USDA um, and, and does some breeding for them on a national scale. He he's our hot breeder, and you know, with the help of Val and with the help of all the brewers identifying, you know, a flavor or aroma that we're looking for, um, we're we've we're well into a breeding program, and we should have some publicly. These are publicly bred hops that will be available to any hop grower. Um, anywhere, not just in the Northwest. It could be in Michigan and could be in New York, Indiana, California, wherever that they'll be available to, 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 to grow. And, um, and it's pretty exciting. And, you know, and especially coming off the pandemic, because you do have the, um, the national hot breeding organization. um, But there's a lot of bigger breweries in there too. And so there's tends to be a mix of, you know, where the focus should be, although you do have a lot of um, craft breweries in that national organization like Sierra Nevada and whatnot is, is in there and Boston Beer, Odell, and many, many, many more. But the Hop Quality Group is this focus on their hop breeding to really bring some, you know, exciting new IPA varieties to craft brewers, but then also have the ability to have these hops be available as a publicly bred hop for any grower that can that, that wants to potentially grow it love it is there as you're thinking about hop flavors um and in another conversation we were talking about mosaic early on having uh some blueberry notes to it which is not really something it's known for these days is is there some sort of aroma or flavor that you have a burning passion that you'd love to see one day or you know at least a deep down desire that you'd like to see one day emerge from hops aroma or flavor wise yeah you know um the one the one uh aroma that uh has enamored me for um the last seven or eight years is from uh the new hop i think it's called talus from ych mm-hmm. through the hop breeding program that was 692 was the number and that was a hop natalie and i were rubbing uh for years with jason peralt and his experimental field and when when it's when it's on it's got this a beautiful pink grapefruit aroma and mm. but it, it's it's also related to it's uh, uh 692 or talus is the 
daughter to um, Sabro, which is a pretty polarizing hop. I mean, that's just like big mint and and like uh, tropical coconut and you know pina colada and it can be a little abrasive in in my opinion and um so there there does there does show a little bit of that in um talus but i would love to see more of that like pink grapefruit think like a a, a freshly squeezed um uh, pink grapefruit into a greyhound and um i just really really like that uh like that. So I'd love to see like more of that. I'm, I'm, you know, although I like the, um, a lot of the new tropical flavors and whatnot, I, I do still love that old school stone fruit, um, like that you get out of Amarillo. Mm -hmm. I love everything that's in Simcoe still. Um, I'm not sure where else you can go. I mean, there's a lot of berry, uh, notes, like I mentioned, you know, elixir in, you know, that we used a little bit in Pliny the Younger this year, um, has this strong strawberry note to it. Um, there's uh, Idaho Gem is a new variety that um, was, was bred at um, one of the farms in, in, Idaho, in Idaho at uh, Gooding. Um, that, that's got some really nice, like, red cherry berry notes to it. So that seems to be where, where breeding is going. But there's also this focus right now in the breeding, um, both publicly and privately, looking at back and using, like, saws as a base and, and creating some softer notes and whatnot, because I'm not sure how much more you can go. I mean, how much bigger can you get than Citra and Mosaic? You know, those are, those are really massive aromas in those, in those beers. And I, although I, I know the, con, the consumer wants more, I just don't think the breed, the hop breeding is going to be able to get more out of that. Hmm. Well, uh, this entire conversation has left me uh, deeply desiring a good West Coast IPA. So uh, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up with you here so I can go down into the basement and uh, find one in the fridge. But um, Vinny, thanks for thanks for taking the time. Thanks for giving us the insight on uh, what Younger Day might look like next year. I imagine as soon as people get two shots in the arm, they'll, they'll be lining up outside and yeah. waiting for months and months and months for the experience. But um Thanks as always for, for taking the time to, to be on the show and to talk with me about all of this. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Great, great to chat with you. Well, there you have it. From Vinny Chilerzo himself, a peek under the hood of Pliny the Elder, a look towards 2022's Younger, hops he's excited about, and how he worked with his whole team to get out the best pint possible. Much like that Steal the Spear episode, this show opened up a whole new host of topics, so maybe I'll just have to have him back over there to keep this whole thing going. Stay tuned, and don't forget that new episodes of Steal the Spear come out every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month, and if you download this month's episode, which is February, you'll hear about quality control and a really cool nonprofit brewery in North Carolina. And also check out BeerEdge.com for the newsletter, articles, and episode of, of the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Mr. Andy Crouch. And if you're a well-meaning brewery or other company who wants to get in front of an audience to talk about beer while also supporting the journalism that we do, we could use you. Hear about our great rates from Liz Melby by reaching out to her on email at liz at beeredge.com. And I need to know, are you part of the maybe, likely, fastest-growing smoked beer community on Facebook? I hope so. But if not, search for This Week in Roush Beer on the social media platform and join our smoked malt merriment. 
I think that covers all the bases. So again, my thanks to Vinny for being on the show, to you for listening and supporting us and leaving those reviews on your podcast platform of choice. I really do appreciate it. If you have questions or comments or guest suggestions for me, you can always reach me at John Hall. It's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com. Or you can follow me on social media and talk to me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Nate Schweber, he plays the guitar and harmonica and arranged our theme music. Jeff Quinn put pen to paper digitally and made our logo. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show come out every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer.